0: nearly 800,000 federal employees are working without pay, and that is Donald Trump doing what Donald Trump does best, not paying the people who work for him. That is where he shines. It is Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, i stuck From in the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and in Round Mountain on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on Queso, and in Eugene on KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening pleasure on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst others, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. A lot to get to, as usual, as we catch up after the holidays and as... The madness continues to roll out of Washington, D.C. and sort of just about everywhere else in the country. Let's start. um, Well, let's start with the government shutdown, which is now in its third week. Hundreds of low income renters across the country could be evicted if the federal government shut down. Now the second longest shutdown in our nation's history. If it continues, federal uh, contracts with private landlords who own about one thousand one hundred and fifty government funded properties across the country have already expired due to the shutdown. And another five hundred could expire this month in addition to another five hundred and fifty in February if the government remains shut down. That according to NBC News. So that's about 2,000 contracts with landlords who may own several properties. Those properties may include hundreds of units. Each unit may have a family in it. So we're potentially talking here about tens of thousands of Americans who are at risk of losing their homes thanks to Donald Trump and his shutdown of the federal government.
1: Increasing homelessness. I'm sure that that's what the MAGA crowd voted for.
0: Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. The Department of Housing and Urban Development, overseen by HUD Secretary Ben Carson, has told landlords participating in this particular program that they can use their cash reserves if they have any. They are typically required by mortgage lenders to cover any shortfalls. HUD has historically reimbursed owners of these properties after previous shutdowns to prevent evictions, But housing advocates and landlords had expected the federal agency to renew the contracts in question that have already expired. But for some reason, they didn't renew those contracts, leaving everything in limbo as the shutdown grinds on and as the costs of the shutdown reveal themselves across the nation as things worsen. It is a mess, said Ellen Lurie Hoffman, federal policy director for the National Housing Trust, which owns properties under this particular program called Section 8. She says the pain is coming a lot earlier than we thought. Hoffman told NBC News that HUD officials had previously assured her uh, her organization that contracts for December and January would be renewed, but they haven't been. She said, it's confusing to me why HUD wouldn't have prioritized that and assigned staff to make sure this would happen. Uh, this wouldn't happen. It's a huge number of contracts, she says, and properties and residents. Landlords with limited reserves could end up delaying critical repairs in the bargain. They might may need to take out additional financing or they could raise rents or even evict tenants, especially if the shutdown continues. HUD did not respond to questions about the number of families affected by the expiring contracts or say why it is that the administration had not renewed the contracts before they ended. That's just one example of the cost of the partial federal government shutdown over Donald Trump's demand for some $5.7 billion for his border wall that he demanded after having agreed to a bill unanimously approved by the Republican-controlled Senate before Christmas that included almost all of what he had actually asked for in his original fiscal year 2019 budget last year, as we discussed on yesterday's broadcast. He asked for $1.6 billion in that budget, and the bill that was approved by the U.S. Senate and last week by the democratically-controlled House had allocated some $1.3 billion for border security. And Donald Trump had said he would sign that bill until, of course, Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and Fox News began criticizing Trump for not demanding more for the wall. And so he backed out of the deal and started demanding five billion for the wall, which has now led to the shutdown now in its third week. Trump will make his case to a national television audience Tuesday night for his long sought border wall funding, even though Mexico was always supposed to pay for that wall. But he is not, at least as of airtime today, um, things change quickly in this administration. He is not, as of now, according to The Washington Post, expected to declare a national emergency that could empower him to move forward with construction without requiring congressional consent. At least that is the argument. Um, Vice President Pence Offered a preview of Trump's expected remarks during appearances on three different morning television shows on Tuesday, arguing that the U.S. is facing a, quote, undeniable crisis. Well, it's not really undeniable. I, uh, I'll be happy to deny it myself.
1: Oh, I can join you in that.
0: It, there is no crisis. No. There is no crisis. And by the way, we live pretty close to the border. We're in Los Angeles. Um, uh, The uh, border is just, what, an hour or two south of here down in San Diego?
1: About three hours, depending on traffic. (laughs) Uh,
0: But, uh, yeah, there's, there's no crisis at the southern border, despite the fact that they're trying to gin up one. Uh, whether it's so that they can uh, declare a national emergency or whether that national emergency is just the way that uh, Trump wants to find his way out of this mess uh, is another issue. A lot of folks are you know, very concerned. There was that article by Elizabeth Goytine over the weekend at uh, The Atlantic, talking about the presidential, any president's emergency powers. They've got a lot of them that they can declare. I think it freaked a lot of people out, though. If I I, I, taking a look at that article that has freaked a lot of people out, she doesn't discuss the wall.
1: No, not at all.
0: This was written, I think, before all of this came up. So I think there's if it puts anyone, any of our listeners at ease, she uh, had written this article about these presidential emergency powers that are, in fact, can be dangerous in the hands of a guy like Donald Trump. He can shut off the Internet. He can uh, be declare martial law. There's he all sorts of things. He can
1: jail folks and keep them from right? being able to defend themselves broadly from immigrants to journalists to pretty much anybody. Under those powers. Under those special but, emergency powers.
0: But I don't think Elizabeth Goyton was warning that, If he declares a national emergency to have some troops build a wall and thus take money from uh, from defense, that that is the type of national emergency that we should all freak out about, that it's fascism, that is uh, he's going to shut down the Internet. This is it. So anyway, don't panic yet. That's all I'm trying to say.
1: Just be informed, not panic.
0: Even if he does declare a national emergency. Uh, in this uh, thing, it, like I say, it's it, unless he does something else along with it. What it does basically is rob the taxpayers of uh, of, of money that is supposed to go for defense and is being used for his uh, stupid wall. Uh, anyway, Trump uh, Pence says it's an undeniable crisis. It isn't at the southern border and uh, is urging Democrats to, quote, come to the table to negotiate an end to the impasse over the wall that has led to the partial government shutdown. Actually, they have been at the table, Democrats have. But as far as I can tell, Donald Trump has offered them absolutely nothing in exchange for the $5.7 billion that he's demanding. So what table is Pence talking about here?
1: The hostage negotiating table, perhaps. There
0: you go. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer plan to deliver a joint response after uh, remarks that Trump is scheduled to uh, deliver on Tuesday Uh, about an eight minute speech supposedly and it will be carried live by all the major television networks Uh, after that, uh, uh, that those remarks Pelosi and Schumer will have their own this after the TV networks had pondered yesterday whether they would break into their regular programming to carry Trump's remarks, his first Oval Office remarks. The networks decided to do so even though they had refused Barack Obama's similar request for airtime to discuss Immigration-related issues back in 2014, claiming at the time that it was because uh, his remarks uh, on, uh, I think it was DACA and DAPA back then, yes, um, were quote overly overtly political.
1: So when Obama does it, it's overtly political and they have the option to deny and reject the request. But when a Republican president, especially Trump, does it, oh, it's okay.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the liberal media, what are you going to do? So, yeah, they have agreed to allow both uh, Trump's remarks and the uh, equal time request from the Democrats in kind. Very thoughtful of them Uh, during his interviews. Uh, On Tuesday, Pence did not rule out the possibility that Trump at some point would declare a national emergency to direct the military to construct a border wall. But the vice president said repeatedly during his uh, interviews today that the administration is seeking a negotiated solution with Congress. Senior White House officials uh, a senior White House official with knowledge of the uh, speech said that the plan is not to call for a national emergency—at least not right now—but to further build a public case for the wall. It will not. He, this uh, official, uh, said it will not be that drastically different than what the president has said so far, but it's to a bigger and different audience said the official who requested anonymity to share the plans that have not otherwise been made public. So there is no national emergency regarding there's there's no crisis. There's no national emergency. There's no need, in fact, to build this wall. Trump is not going to argue anything he hasn't argued before, as far as anyone knows. Why is he even being allowed to use our public airwaves to do so? Cable is one thing. All the cable stations could carry it. But are public airwaves on network television? Again, when President Obama tried to do something like this, he was told that it was a political speech. It's, you know, we're not going to break into our airtime for this. It's not a national I- issue. But, yeah, the rules are different when Republicans are in office. By the way, George W. Bush was similarly allowed access to the airwaves for immigration-related remarks. That's your liberal media Negotiations with congressional staff over the weekend led by Pence resulted in little progress, according to Democrats and Republicans alike. So, yes, Democrats have been at the table. Huh. Uh, Pence said on CBS this morning, you know what we could uh, you know that we could resolve this in a matter of hours if the Democrats would come to the table and start negotiating in good faith. In the meantime, in Congress, Nancy Pelosi has planned a new series of votes on a piecemeal reopening of the government, beginning with the Treasury Department and the Internal Revenue Service. Of course, those departments have nothing to do with the wall at all or for, have or the Department of Homeland Security, so Republicans... They should agree to adopt these piecemeal bills, and uh, the president will sign them to reopen the government. Right? This week's votes will put Republicans in a particularly difficult position, the Post says, because they will spotlight the issue of whether millions of Americans will have trouble receiving their tax refund checks. So uh, these, if they reopen. These particular departments, Treasury and IRS, it has nothing to do with the wall. They can still fight about that. They can still Trump can still refuse to sign a bill that doesn't include his five billion uh, regarding opening the uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security. Democratic House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said uh, there is an opportunity for every American to see who wants government open and our responsibility is not to do what the president of the United States tells us to do. Our responsibility is to do what we think is in the best interest of the American people and the effective and efficient operations of their government, said Hoyer. He also said he does not believe Trump has the authority to declare a national emergency and to direct the military to construct the wall without congressional consent, and that he could wind up abusing his powers if he did so. Abuse of powers, I will just note here for the record, is an impeachable offense. Add it to the list, which already includes obstruction of justice, violation of campaign finance laws with his hush money payoffs to two women. And all of that is before special counsel Robert Mueller may or may not. Uh, come in with uh, more information about Trump and the campaign and their involvement with Russia in some way. Hoyer said a presidential declaration of a national emergency, in addition to being an abuse of power and likely unlawful, quote, is analogous to government's that we've seen all over the world declaring martial law and justifying them and doing whatever they wanted to do to whomever they wanted to do it, whenever they wanted to do it, Hoyer said. We don't think that's the American way. We don't think that's the constitutional way. Adding there is no crisis. There is no invasion. There is no clear and present danger. Well, no, there is none of that. But it is becoming the American way, the constitutional way to declare emergencies, to get stuff done that you can't get done through regular means, at least in the American Republican way. Just look at states like Texas and Wisconsin and Michigan and North Carolina stories that we have covered on the show over the years where their Republican governors uh, of, of those states at various times in recent years have declared emergencies in order only to call for extraordinary or emergency sessions of the state legislature or to allow the passage of certain laws under emergency procedures, emergency rules, where they couldn't underwi- otherwise uh, pass them under the normal rules that are in place in those legislatures. That's what Republicans do these days. Stuff they can't get past, they pretend there are emergencies. Declaring fake emergencies to pass things that would otherwise not be allowed to go through. That they couldn't compromise with the other party to make happen under normal means. This is becoming the norm for Republicans. It should come as little surprise, by the way, to Steny Hoyer. Uh, or anybody else, uh, that these so-called, our so-called laboratories of democracy, the states, our states, they have been running experiments in undermining democracy through doing exactly this, through declarations of emergency. So they have extraordinary powers. And that experiment at the state level, which we have been warning about, shouting about, telling you about for so many years, is now finding its way to the federal government as well as as I see this. The idea of using uh, the military to build the wall under a presidential declaration of a national emergency has not been universally embraced by Republicans, the Post notes. Congressman Mac Thornberry of Texas, he's the ranking Republican on the House Armed Services Committee, said Tuesday he opposes using military construction money under an emergency declaration. Oh, Well, that's nice of him. In short, he said I'm opposed to using defense dollars for non-defense purposes. So he's admitting that building a wall has nothing to do with our national defense, our national security. He added he thinks border security is, quote, very important, but it is not a responsibility of the Department of Defense. Again, he's the ranking Republican on the House Armed Services Committee. One Democrat who's being lobbied by Trump, uh, this was actually Trump's advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, um, Senator Joe Manchin of Virginia. Where do you think he falls on this, Des? Mm. Uh, he, I hate to
1: ponder. <laughs>
0: I know you do. Uh, he said he would he would not oppose a declaration of a national emergency by Trump if that means the president would allow the shuttered parts of the federal government to reopen. Manchin mm-hmm. said uh, today, if that's what it takes, if he wants to declare a national emergency, it'll be fought in the courts. I'm OK with that and let it be fought out in the courts. And frankly... Uh, As of now, I expect that is exactly how all of this ends, to be frank. Many experts today are arguing that since Trump has boxed himself into this corner uh, with no way out, with, you know, going on on live TV, as he did a few weeks ago with uh, Schumer and Pelosi and saying, I'll take responsibility. I won't blame you. I'll take the mantle for the shutdown. There's really no way out uh, at this point for Trump. Uh, At least that I can see, at least until he starts making concessions. And of course, you know, that wouldn't work well with his brand name. He has reportedly asked his staff to find a way out of this mess, this mess that he created in some way that he would not lose face. So the only way out, frankly, at this point may be to declare a national emergency, a fake one, but a national emergency uh and you know just order the uh, order the troops to build this wall if he does that Mitch McConnell will finally allow a vote in the Republican controlled Senate to open the government back up but a vote without the 5 billion dollars that Trump is asking for as McConnell had previously allowed before Christmas but is refusing to do now in any event that would open the government the Democrats would sue against Trump's emergency declaration and the courts would eventually settle it. But at least the government would be open. If the courts side with Democrats, Trump can uh, just blame those liberal courts as he likes to do. Uh, but the we would be past the real crisis, which has to do with the government shutdown, not with the border shutdown. For now, that's beginning to look like the only way out of this mess uh, for Trump uh, and to get the government opened again, God forbid Trump should, you know, compromise, back down, offer anything in exchange for his demands. Despite all of these uh, years of pretending that he he is some kind of a great deal maker, obviously he's not. He's got Mike Pence out there uh, making the case for him all over the place and doing the negotiations because Donald Trump is terrible at it.
1: Well, the only thing that that I fear in the scenario of this may be the only way for all of us to get out of the corner that Trump has boxed him, has painted himself into, is that the courts are then required to do this break, this uh, this backstop on all of Trump's insanity he's been packing the courts with yep. right-wing nuts. Yep. So we may not have that backstop much longer, no, they, and this may fall apart on that.
0: Yeah, and, and they may allow him to do this. Um, still, I, I'm just trying to caution people, don't get freaked out, don't get freaked out, at least not yet. Okay. Because uh, I know a national emergency sounds pretty scary, but again, in this case, as far as I know, it would just be uh, not really a national emergency as much as a national robbery as they're robbing robbing, uh, a taxpayer money that was supposed to go to defense to build the dumb wall. During uh, uh, television interviews uh, on Tuesday, Pence was pressed about several false or questionable claims that Trump has made in advocating for a border wall, oh, you think? Including that uh, former presidents told him they wanted to build a wall, but in fact... um, Uh, and that uh, former President Barack Obama has a 10-foot wall around his entire house in Washington, D.C. In fact, all four living ex-presidents have denied making any such comments to Trump, even though Trump said uh, several presidents have made those comments, uh, and there is no 10-foot wall around Obama's house. Experts have also said that Trump and other administration officials have significantly overstated the security threat posed By terrorists attempting to cross the southern border. In fact, there have been more people found, as we have now learned, uh, more people found trying to come in through the northern border than the southern border uh, who were found to have uh, matched the uh, uh, terrorist watch list in some fashion or another. In a lot of in a lot of cases, they may just have a name that sounds similar. But where uh, Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders had been claiming 4,000 people over the last year had been found to be terrorists or suspected terrorists on the southern border, in fact, there was just six—not 4,000, but six.
1: And they're not terrorists. Their names just match somebody match who's on the list.
0: Uh, up on the northern border, meanwhile, forty-one have been uh, caught, but there's no discussion of a wall along the Canadian border for some odd reason. Huh. Most of the people who match this list have been uh, found at airports. On the Twitter machines today, not uh, no wall. There's no wall that would stop them. And by the way, they were stopped. That's how they have that number. Whether it's accurate or not, they were actually stopped with the existing system without this whatever wall he's calling for. On the Twitter machines today, uh, as Brad Reed at Raw Story noticed, Republican operative Liz Mayer basically shredded Donald Trump's uh, Donald Trump himself for his. Desperate last ditch attempt to get this uh, proposed border wall funded by shutting down the federal government. Mayor is a GOP consultant who has worked for John McCain, Rand Paul, Rick Perry, Scott Walker, etc. She reacted to one of the interviews with Mike Pence uh, on. Uh, on NBC, on NBC's Today, in which he claimed there was a massive crisis along the southern U.S. border. Mayer pointed out that the president has vast powers to enforce American immigration laws by himself without Congress, meaning that any crisis regarding undocumented immigration rests on his shoulders, not on Democrats in Congress, arguably not even on Republicans in Congress. She says the bottom line is this administration has had two years to address what they perceive as a massive problem with unlawful immigration. And they could deal with it, she said, almost all of this is within the purview of the executive. Congress plays a very small role, but they have failed by their own standard. If, in fact, as Mike Pence was claiming that tens of thousands of undocumented immigrants are just streaming in. Um, She says, well, if that's the case, what is the administration doing about it over the past two years? And she says, I don't mean slow walking uh, interviews at border crossings as they're doing. She notes that that actually spurs unlawful entry. She says she's not referring to trying to build a wall because that won't change this actual trend. It's just the athleticism of those trying to get in, she says. She says, are we doing anything different or new with Central American countries where people are fleeing to improve the economic and security situation? Not that I see. She says, are we increasing the number of, say, H2 visas so that those among this group who are actually migrants, can apply in their home countries and get vetted. If we had more H-2B visas, she notes, they could stay home. They wouldn't have to show up at the at the border at all. They could stay home, apply for the visas, get vetted, and then if they get approved, come here to work in an orderly fashion. Because, she notes, Texas homebuilders and the agriculture industry need those workers. Again, this is a Republican who worked for John McCain, Rand Paul, Scott Walker, Rick Perry, etc. She also notes that, by the way, when workers come here on those visas, their employers are responsible for their housing and their health care, etc., So this is one way to ensure that immigrants are not relying on public dollars at all, all of which underscores that this is all just nonsense, stuff and nonsense that uh, Trump is making up. If he wanted to solve this pretend crisis, there are many ways for him to do it that don't rely on Congress at all. She says, bottom line, the administration has had two years to address what they perceive as a massive problem with unlawful immigration. And they have failed by their own standards. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, uh, move away from this uh, nonsense. And um, well, oh, it's just some of the uh, recent election news that we need to catch up on, including some Supreme Court news today regarding elections as well. And a bit later, the return, Desi Doyen of the Green News Report Yay! after our long holiday break. I've got plenty to catch up on there as well, uh, including some election news in the Green News Report as well. <laughs> uh, and uh, as, I should say, as the mostly encouraging effects of the 2018 blue wave continue to roll in across the country in various ways. All of that straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. A bit of uh, Supreme Court and election-related news today. On Friday, the Supreme Court announced it will hear challenges to two aggressive partisan gerrymanders, one created by Democrats in Maryland and another by Republicans in North Carolina. In both cases... Lower courts had previously found that the gerrymanders in question, the partisan gerrymanders in question, were unconstitutional. A single This is a single congressional district gerrymandered by Democrats in Maryland and the pretty much entire U.S. House map uh, that has been gerrymandered by Republicans in North Carolina. This marks the second term in a row where partisan gerrymandering is a marquee issue. On the court's docket last June at the end of last year's session, the court punted on two gerrymandering cases, the uh, Maryland challenge and a different case out of Wisconsin, where the GOP had been found to have unlawfully gerrymandered the entire state legislature. But they punted on that and that uh, delayed resolution of this issue until after Justice Anthony Kennedy retired from the court after the Supreme Court permitted Wisconsin's gerrymander to remain in place, the one that had been found unconstitutional by the lower courts. Democrats, uh, uh, Democratic State Assembly candidates in Wisconsin last November won 54 percent of the popular vote in the 2018 midterms. Nonetheless, because of that gerrymander, Republicans won 63 percent of the state's assembly seats, thanks to that gerrymander in that state. So uh, Democrats got more a majority of the votes, 54 percent, but Republicans ended up winning two thirds of the state assembly seats. Kennedy's retirement from the court last year and his subsequent replacement by Trump-appointed Brett Kavanaugh is likely to have devastating consequences for opponents of gerrymandering. That, according to uh, Ian Melheiser at Think Progress, uh, covering this today, back in 2004, he notes, four conservative members of the Supreme Court had rejected a challenge to Pennsylvania's congressional maps, with all four joining an opinion by. Uh, then Justice Antonin Scalia arguing that federal courts should not be hearing partisan gerrymandering disputes at all. The argument essentially is that the same gerrymandered legislatures who benefited from the gerrymanders should somehow vote to un-gerrymander themselves, rather than having the courts step in and do it. That was the stupid argument. Uh, That was agreed to by four of the uh, Supreme Court justices back in 2004, and Kennedy provided the fifth vote at the time. Uh, But his separate concurring opinion left open the possibility that he could strike down partisan gerrymandering in a future case. But then Kennedy decided not to do it. and uh, punted those issues last year when he had the chance, then he retired, and now the seat is held by Brett Kavanaugh, who is even farther to the right than Kennedy. Uh, And so Milheiser believes that uh, Kavanaugh is unlikely to vote against partisan gerrymandering when these uh, come back up again in this new session of the Supreme Court. We will see. Partisan gerrymandering uh, the court may end up being just fine with. They have, at least up till now, never found it to be unconstitutional, despite that great chance they had last year. Uh, so Milheiser is predicting this will not end well. Racial gerrymandering, on the other hand, has been found unconstitutional. And to that end, today at the Supreme Court, uh, that matter came into play with a bit of good news to that end. According to Amy Howe at SCOTUS blog, the Supreme Court today rejected a last-ditch effort by the Virginia GOP, the Virginia GOP legislator, legislature, to um, stop the federal court, lower federal court, from putting in place a remedial map to cure the racial gerrymander that was found in in Virginia. This is important, uh, particularly right now, because you'll recall Virginia has off year uh, elections. So this is an election year in Virginia. 2019 is. You're, and uh, you recall in 20, doing my math here, 2017, they ended up in a virtual tie In the state Senate, that was settled by the drawing of a lot. Remember that after a disputed recount process, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's all going to happen again this year. Buckle up for it. Today's order at the Supreme Court means that a federal district court's efforts to create a new map for the Virginia House of Delegates With the assistance of a voting rights expert, which was who was appointed by the court for the state's elections in November, that new map put together, not by the gerrymandered legislature, but by the uh, the court and this uh, voting rights expert, that new map can now move forward for the November election, even as the Supreme Court prepares to hear oral argument in the Virginia case. Um, And they'll eventually issue a decision that could prompt yet another change in that map. Fun for
1: the folks in Virginia.
0: Well, the court's order uh, today denying the GOP motion in, in this case that will most likely be argued at the court in March. But that is the second trip for that case to the Supreme Court. Back in 2017, the justices concluded that a lower court had applied the wrong legal standard when it rebuffed the uh, challenger's claims here that uh, 12 districts were the result of racial gerrymandering. The justices upheld one of the 12 districts that were found to be racial gerrymanders, but sent the rest back to the lower court to look at the remaining 11. And in June of last year, that lower court, took that second look and they struck down the districts again as an unconstitutional gerrymander um, and concluded that the main factor dictating the boundaries was, in fact, race, and that is unconstitutional. Virginia's off-year election scheduled for November uh, of this year um, means that uh, if the lower court had put everything on hold until the Supreme Court heard This case, that meant that, well, even if the Supreme Court agreed with the lower courts, by the time they made that decision in June, it would potentially be too late to change the maps for the November election. So they moved ahead. And uh, for now, the Supreme Court has not stopped them from doing so. Uh, So that's some good news, at least if it holds Throughout the year regarding gerrymandering, at least on the racial front, we'll see what happens on the uh, on the partisan front, Uh, picking up a couple of other items here from last year's elections Uh, at the end of the year while we were out, outgoing Republican Maine Governor Paul LePage the dumbest in the nation, now uh, Maine's former governor, Paul LePage, I'm happy to say. (laughs) Before he left, uh, he took a swipe at a Democratic candidate's victory in a controversial U.S. House race, writing, quote, stolen election next to his own signature on the certificate that certified and confirmed The election result in that U.S. House race. LePage certified the victory of Democratic, well, now Democratic Representative Jared Golden after the incumbent Congressman Bruce Poliquin, the Republican, a two term Republican, conceded to his opponent on Christmas Eve after a uh, contentious legal challenge. LePage wrote in a tweet, quote, I've signed off on Maine's second congressional district election result as it's no longer in federal court. And then he attached a photo of the certificate with the phrase stolen election next to his signature. So I guess Paul LePage just certified a stolen election. The uh, controversy over that particular race, uh, which we've uh, covered in uh, the recent weeks here on the broadcast before the break, uh, stems from Maine's ranked choice electoral system, where if no candidate receives an outright majority of the votes, then a second tally is triggered. In that case, the second and even third choices of some voters can be added to the total count. In this uh, in this case, the Republican initially received about 2,000 more votes than the Democrat in the first count, but he was still short of an outright majority, triggering the second count, etc. Golden managed to surge ahead of Poliquin then, after the second preferences from ballots supporting two other candidates were reallocated. The incumbent congressman, then claimed that the system was unconstitutional and requested the courts either declare him the winner or order another election. The courts refused to do either, so he um, eventually withdrew his uh, legal challenge, paving the way for Governor then Governor Paul LePage to certify what Paul LePage says is a stolen election. Mercifully, LePage has finally been replaced. By Democratic State Attorney General Janet Mills, she is now the new governor of Maine. She became the first female governor in the state and the first Democrat to hold the office in over a decade. The uh, Republican, uh, LePage, who had served as the state's governor for eight years, told reporters he's retiring from politics and will be moving to Florida due to lower taxes.
1: See ya, suckers.
0: <laughs> the uh But the uh, dividends, I should say, for Mainers are already paying off with their new governor. Uh, Maine voters approved Medicaid expansion by ballot initiative more than a year ago, but LePage had blocked it from taking effect. In her first executive order on her first day in office, the new governor, Janet Mills, ordered Maine to move forward with Medicaid expansion, which is likely to provide health insurance for an additional 70,000 Maine residents under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, Medicaid eligibility was extended to nearly all low-income people, making below 138 percent of the federal poverty line. But a Supreme Court ruling back in 2012 allowed states to opt out of that Medicaid expansion under the ACA. Maine was one of 12 states run by Republican governors who decided to opt out Over the past few years, lawmakers in Maine had fought tooth and nail to expand Medicaid, including Republican lawmakers, by the way. But LePage vetoed five different bills on the issue. Finally, in 2017, Supporters of Medicaid expansion took another route. They put the expansion up for a vote as a ballot measure and almost 60 percent of Maine voters endorsed that expansion, making it the first time that a state had approved the uh, expansion through a ballot initiative. But despite that, despite what the voters wanted, LePage continued to slow walk and block the measure Uh, even using his final weeks in office to ignore a Maine Superior Court justice's ruling that he had to stop sabotaging the expansion. LePage said last summer, I will go to jail before I put the state in red ink. And uh, claiming that uh, this would somehow bankrupt Maine. Uh, And if the court tells me I have to do it, then we're going to be in jail. Well, he's not in jail yet. He's He's in Florida. He's in Florida. But if he goes to jail, I got good news for Paul LePage uh, down in Florida. Uh, But before we get to that, let me just note, because he is gone, because he is out of office, because of voters, and frankly, because a Democrat is now the governor of Maine, Some 70,000 of Paul LePage's former constituents will finally have access to health care after all of these years of their Republican governor preventing them from having it. Well, uh, the good news, uh, perhaps, for Paul LePage, if he does end up going to jail Down in Florida is that uh, despite hedging from Florida's Republican leaders, an amendment that allows eligible former felons to register to vote has now, as of today, gone into effect, according to state election officials. The change could well have national implications for elections, including the 2020 presidential election, given that it now increases the pool of eligible voters in Florida by as many as 1.4 million people in a battleground state infamous for its narrow margins in key elections. Considered to be one of the most significant voting rights acts in uh, in state history, Amendment 4 passed last year with nearly 65 percent of the vote. Election supervisors reached by the Tampa Bay Times said that beginning Tuesday they will not hesitate to implement the amendment and will register those who, under the law, have regained their right to vote thanks to that amendment. The uh, amendment was crafted to take effect uh, automatically without further action needed by lawmakers. It applies to all felons who have done their time and completed the terms of their probation and parole with the exception of people convicted of murder or sex offenses. Gary uh, Kramer, spokesman for the Hillsborough uh, County Supervisor of Elections, said by law, the amendment goes into effect January 8, and the language was very clear that it restores voting rights to all who have completed their terms of sentence, except those convicted of murder or sex offenses. The uh, Pinellas County Supervisor of Elections uh, said that she will accept voter registration applications from anyone who believes they are eligible to register and vote. As of today, Broward County will process applications from eligible felons as well, according to its new election supervisor, Peter Antonacci, who replaced the controversial Brenda Snipes, who has resigned. Until now, Florida was the largest state to not automatically restore voting rights to most felons who had served their sentences. Felons who wanted to vote had to apply for restoration with the state's clemency board made up of the governor who has been Republican for God knows how long and three of the Republican governor's cabinet members. The uh, That clemency board has a backlog of thousands of applications. They meet just every uh, three months, averaging only 400 voting rights uh, restored a year. Now, 1.4 million people in a state that has wildly close elections. You'll recall that both their U.S. Senate and gubernatorial races went to recounts this past November. 1.4 million uh, new people potentially in the voting pool if they sign up to vote. They are now legally allowed to do so. In December, Governor-elect Ron DeSantis told the Palm Beach Post that the law should be put on hold until the legislature passes implementing language. Uh, That language could still come later, but it's not mandatory to uh, register the uh, Florida Constitution spells out clearly when any new amendment takes effect, which is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in January.
1: That's some good news.
0: Good news still rolling in from the uh, blue tide, uh, the blue wave uh, from uh, 2018 rolling into 2019. Quick break and uh, some more good news along those lines in our Green News Report. Coming up next with Desi Doyen, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The <laughs> Bradcast. and thanks. I'll stop the world, with you. Ah, yes. Desi Doyen's Siren Song. <laughs> Welcome back to it in 2019. And welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, we're continuing to try to catch up on a lot that we
1: missed over
0: the holidays. And your latest Green News report is no exception.
1: While we were out... There were toilets overflowing, littering, cars parking off-road. Government shutdown impacting national parks and federal scientific research. Trump-EPA launched another serious attack on public health... Plus... We must also face the existential threat of our time. The new Democratic House majority pledged to act on our climate crisis.
0: All of those crises and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We can turn this ship in the way we want to go, man love, creating a healthy
1: planet for all of
0: us. The dude abides, man. This is your Green News Report. I'm
1: gonna soak up the sun.
0: Okay, Desi Doyen, just to make it clear, that was Jeff Bridges at the Golden Globes in our snarky comment there. Yes. Talking about turning around this ship, as in this boat, on the water just to be clear in case <laughs> there was any questions about what he said good point uh, while we were out A whole lot of stuff seems to have happened in the green world. you got a lot to catch up with in six minutes.
1: (laughs) Indeed. National parks advocacy groups say the Trump administration's decision to keep some national parks open with little or no staff during the shutdown of the federal government could lead to permanent irreversible damage to public assets and serious loss of revenue. No one is collecting entrance fees at national parks or enforcing regulations that protect the parks and its visitors. No one is collecting trash. Bathrooms are overflowing, except where local volunteers have stepped in.
0: Yeah, it's been local folks, uh, contractors who are pitching in, buying toilet paper, cleaning out latrines. It should not happen this way.
1: Even parts of Yosemite National Park had to be shut down because visitors were using the roadside as a toilet. The government shutdown is also taking a toll on science and research as well. Many government scientists' work has been halted because they are barred from doing research or participating in official activities during the shutdown. At the annual Meteorological Society conference in Phoenix this week, many studies on climate and weather had to be withdrawn because National Weather Service and NOAA scientists are barred from attending.
0: Barred from attending? We're talking about hundreds of scientists who are not allowed to go because of the shutdown? Right.
1: But there are some bright spots. The ongoing shutdown is also delaying controversial oil and gas exploration in the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. And it's also preventing federal agencies from approving permits for oil and gas pipelines and oil industry seismic testing in the ocean that harms marine life.
0: Well, isn't that just like you, finding an upside?
1: Well, there's no upside here. In one of the last official acts before suspending operations, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency formed formally proposed to change how it calculates the health benefits of reducing toxic mercury emissions from coal-fired power plants. The Trump EPA wants to eliminate the benefit part of its cost-benefit analysis of the impacts of regulations, like the health benefit of people not being poisoned by mercury. By not calculating the public health benefits, the Trump EPA can claim that the mercury and air toxic standard is too costly to industry to justify. Now, the utility industry has asked the Trump EPA to leave the rule in place. However, the Trump administration can also potentially use the new calculation to justify rolling back other public health rules that it deems not worth the cost. And constrain future pollution regulations
0: Bottom line, more dangerous mercury in our air and water Because the Trump administration just wants it that way?
1: Yep The proposal is now up for public comment at regulations.gov and will likely be challenged in court. Good. But some good news. Democrats in governorships around the country and the new majority in the U.S. House of Representatives are taking action to protect public health. As one of her first acts, Michigan's new Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed an executive order requiring state officials to immediately report health and safety threats. Officials with the previous administration of Republican Governor Rick Snyder failed to do so, as evidence mounted that Flint's water was contaminated with lead. Finally, new Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi received a standing ovation during her opening address when she promised, as Speaker, to use the new Democratic House majority to address climate change. We must also face the existential threat of our time, the climate crisis, a crisis manifested in natural disasters of epic proportions. The entire Congress must work to put an end to the inaction and denial of science that threaten the planet and the future. It is a security decision to keep us all safe and a moral decision to be good stewards of God's creation. Environmental groups are a bit disappointed that Pelosi's new House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis lacks subpoena power and an explicit mandate to develop legislation for a proposed Green New Deal, But hey, it's a start.
0: For much more on all of these stories and on the Green New Deal, should it ever happen, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Gotta start somewhere. Gotta (laughs) start somewhere. Actually,
1: the words I was just about to say—it's important stuff. We don't have enough time for this, but we're going to have to do what we can. Go to climate action with the people we have versus the people we wish we would have.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, How long do you think? uh, And by the way, we got some uh, more, more bad news regarding climate emissions today that came in after our green news report. So that we'll have to wait for. For the next one, I was going to say, How long do you think it will take us to catch up from not having Green News reports for about two weeks?
1: <laughs> I, you know, I'm just going to have to skip over all that, and you'll have to go to greennews.bradblog.com to catch up on all the stories that we didn't get to cover.
0: There you go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it uh, in full, along with all of the other broadcasts we've ever made, going back I don't know how many years, at bradblog.com. You can drop me email, if you like, at I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do there. I am—you uh, can find me simply as the Brad Blog—and I want to say a thanks to those of you who jumped in at the end of the year to help us out by stopping by BradBlog.com/donate. Your support is greatly appreciated, and it continues to be appreciated. Uh, if you missed your chance at the end of last year. Don't worry, your chance is not over. You can still stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. All right, that is it. Until the catch-up and nightmares continue tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.